Welcome back to Overdue. I'm Mrs. Watts. And I'm Coach Hill. We're coming to you from BDP Library at White House High. Hello, my name is Reese Cook, and today I'm going to be reading an excerpt from Ground Zero by Alan Gratz. Before I start, here's some background knowledge of this novel. Ground Zero is based off the real events of 9-11, 2001, and 2019. Brandon is in the North Tower of the World Trade Center when a plane hits it, and he must find a way to make it out of the tower all alone, without his father. Rashmina's account of 9-11 takes place 18 years later in an Afghan village. She's grown up around her around war being normal, but when it comes close to destroying everything Rashmina loves, she must take power in order to survive. Both Brandon and Rashmina need to take serious matters into their own hands to make it to their tomorrow. Rashmina Old Tires and RPG Launchers It was cool and damp and dark inside that cave, and eerily quiet. Rashmina could still hear the pops and booms of guns above, but they were muted here, muffled by meters of rock that Rashmina hoped would keep them safe until the battle was over. Rashmina took a step forward and banged her shin on something metal. She yelped in pain. What is it? Taz asked. What's wrong? Rashmina forgot he still couldn't see. We're in a cave now. We're safe, she told him. But it's dark. I ran into something. Here, use my flashlight, Taz said. She heard the rip of Velcro, and Taz fumbled to lift a burqa he wore. Here, I think we can liberate him now, Anna said, and she helped Taz out of the burqa. Rashmina took the flashlight and clicked it on. The cave was smaller than she remembered, but the cave would have been bigger to her back then, she realized. The last time she'd been here, it had just been her and Pasoon and a few other kids playing hide-and-seek. Now she was taller, and a dozen or so families from her village were squeezed inside with her. I wish your Baba was here, Rashmina's mother said. She had Zahir in one arm and held Maurice's hand in the other. I hope he's safe. Rashmina hoped he was too. He had made it to the ANA base, at least. And they had gotten his message to the Americans that Taz was in the village. The soldiers fighting up above them were proof of that. Rashmina used Taz's flashlight to lead Taz and her family to the back of the cave, as far away from the entrance as they could get. The cave was full of rusty, old Soviet-era junk that they had to step around. Propellers, engine parts, spare tires, electronics with wires sticking out like wild hairs, big pieces of metal from trucks, and old weapons too. The metal bits of rifles, RPG launchers with no rockets, disassembled landmines. Be careful, one of the older men from the village said. Some of these weapons might explode if you kick them the wrong way. Their parents had told them the same thing when they were little, of course told them in no uncertain terms not to play in the caves beneath the village, that it was too dangerous. All that had done, of course, was make Rashmina and Pasoon and the others want to come down here and explore. Besides, how was it any safer to play above ground when there were Americans and Taliban running around shooting at each other? Rashmina remembered wandering amazed through the old Soviet-era machines. They had been so foreign, so mysterious. Now they just looked sad. Taz put his hands out, frowning as he tried to feel what was around him. I hate being blind, he said. Rashmina turned off the flashlight, saving the battery. We're all in the dark, she told him. I'm scared of the dark, Taz confessed. I was lost in the dark once, and I couldn't see. When I was a boy, it was very scary. I've been afraid of the dark ever since. 
Rashmina wasn't afraid of the dark. Lantern fuel was expensive, and they burned the lantern in their house only when they had to. She got up before dawn every day and went to bed after the sun went down. Darkness was just another part of her world, not something to love or fear. But whatever had happened to Taz as a boy, being in the dark was making him sweat with panic now. Poom poom. Dirt and rock misted down from the cave ceiling as muffled explosions struck nearby. M320 grenade launcher, Taz said. How do you know? Rashmina asked. The sound, the feel, Taz said. I've been here for a long time. How long? Rashmina asked. Ten years off and on, Taz told her. Ten years and you speak no Pashto? Rashmina asked. Taz didn't answer right away. Perhaps he was ashamed. Rashmina would be. After all, she had spent the last few years of her life learning English. I speak Mandarin Chinese, Taz said. You speak Chinese? Rashmina asked. She couldn't believe it. Shidi, Taz said. Army Special Forces have to learn a second language, and I was taught Mandarin because so many people in Afghanistan speak Chinese, Rashmina said wryly. I guess they figured there was life after Afghanistan, Taz said. From the way he said it, it sounded like Taz wasn't so sure that was true anymore. The ground and walls shook. Rashmina felt her insides shake with them. She knew that feeling. A helicopter was flying by. Apache, she said. Taz shook his head. Sikorsky, HH-60, Pavehawk, he told her. Modified Blackhawk. Apaches were more like he said, blowing out through his lips. Sixties are more like The sixties are for me, I guess. They're search and rescue birds. All this was for Taz, Rashmina thought, and all because she'd led him to her house. Her house wasn't there anymore. Toom! Something big exploded on the ground above the cave, and the interior shook harder than ever before. A woman cried out as a piece of the one of the walls broke off and tumbled down into the metal junk on the floor. Rashmina watched Taz, who was suddenly alert. Toom! The next explosion was bigger, closer. This one knocked them all to the ground. Rashmina's eyes went wide. She put her palms against the dirt as though she could command the earth to stop shaking. It didn't work. And she began to think that coming into the caves was a very, very bad idea. What if this place became their tomb? A chunk of the ceiling fell on an old man toward the front of the cave, and people around him cried out and tried to unbury him. Taz put his hand to the wall and slowly stood, a look of fear on his face. What is it? Rashmina asked, still on the ground. I don't know. It's hard to tell down here. But to shake us like that? It feels like Reaper drones. Laser-guided bombs. No sooner had Taz said that than, Takum! A bomb hit right on top of the cave, and the whole ceiling fell. Brandon. Blind. Brandon's eyes fluttered open. He couldn't see a thing. He was lying on his side in three inches of water. His arms and legs splayed out, and pieces of metal and wood on top of him. The darkness pressed in on him, like he'd been holding breath in a pool for too long and the water was trying to push its way in. The air was a solid thing that surrounded him. He couldn't breathe, couldn't hear. He tried to move his arms, but they didn't want to move. His legs were like dead lumps attached to his limbs. Brandon's heart hammered in his chest and he gasped for air. His mouth and nose were full of dust and little bits of debris and he coughed and spat and retched until most of it was gone. Slowly, dully, the feeling in his arms and legs came tingling back, but his eyesight didn't. Panic welled up inside of him. I'm blind, 
Brandon thought, I'm blind and lost and I'm alone and the air is closing in on me. I'm never gonna get out of here. Richard, he called, Richard, are you there? No one answered and Brandon sobbed. He couldn't see and his ears were ringing and he was all alone. Richard, he called again, but Richard was gone. Brandon curled up into a ball and cried. The world had exploded and now he was totally, utterly alone. All his life, a parent had been there for him. First, his mother who had loved him and laughed with him and cared for him when he was, al- when he was little. He remembered her face, her blonde hair and pale skin and blue eyes. More from photographs now than his own fading memories. But the idea of her was still there. A tall, warm, embracing figure who picked him up and sang him lullabies. When his mother had died, Brandon thought he couldn't go on. He had stopped talking, stopped caring. Every night, he had cried himself to sleep. It was his father who brought him back. His father, who had probably been losing sleep too, and who might have wanted to withdraw from the world when his wife had died, but hadn't. For Brandon's sake. And his father, who had read comic books with him and taken him to the skate park every weekend. They had been a team, and now Brandon was alone. He couldn't do it. He couldn't go on. It would have been better if he had never run away at all and stayed trapped in windows on the world with his father, with the smoke choking them. He needed his father to make the decisions, to guide him through the danger. Without his father, Brandon thought, he was better off dead. But eventually his tears dried and the sprinkler stopped and the ringing in his ears faded. And Brandon was still there. He wasn't dead. He was battered and sore, but his head, his face, his arms, his body, his legs, and his feet were all still there still working. He had little cuts and bruises all over, but he was alive and in one piece. And he couldn't just lie here in the dark forever. What was was it his father had told him? You're strong, Brandon. You can survive without me. Brandon was strong and he had survived all by himself. He didn't want to and he could when he needed to. And now he needed to now. Brandon put a hand down into the water to push him off his feet and felt a razor-sharp burn of a broken piece of glass cutting into his palm. He pulled back with a hiss and squeezed his hands together. The mall shops all around him must have been destroyed in the blast, which meant there was broken glass and debris everywhere. He couldn't see, and now he was lost in what was left of the underground mall after it had been nuked. But nuked by what? Had another plane crashed into the plaza above them? Who was doing this, and why? Why hurt and kill all these people? Richard? Brandon called again. He heard someone moan in response. Richard! He was alive! The cut on Brandon's hand still stung, but he had to move. He'd lost the handkerchief Richard had given him, but feeling around in the darkness, he found a shirt from one of the stores. He threw the hanger away and wrapped the wet shirt around his injured hand. He couldn't see the cut, but he knew it must be deep from how much it hurt. Richard! I'm coming! Brandon called. Richard moaned again, and Brandon put his hands out carefully, trying to feel his way toward the sound without hurting himself again. His left hand found something plastic in a cardboard package floating by in ankle-deep water. And as he searched his contours with his fingers, Brandon recognized with a start what it was. It was the toy Wolverine claws that he'd left to buy at Sam Goody that morning. Brandon blinked in the darkness. It was so strange to finally hold the toy in his hand. This is why I'm here, Brandon thought. This is why I'm not with my dad right now. This is why I'm alive. It was so random, so stupid, so meaningless now, and yet so important at the same time. Richard moaned again, 
and Brandon dropped the Wolverine claws and focused. Brandon was here, now, for whatever reason, and so was Richard. And Richard needed his help. Arms and legs trembling, Brandon put his hands out in front of him and shuffled forward, sloshing through the water and the rubble. The air in front of him was empty, but he was sure that he was going to run into something. Richard, say something so I can find you, Brandon said. I am here, said a man with a heavy Indian accent. Brandon's heart sank. It wasn't Richard he had heard moaning. It was someone else. Help me, please, the man said. Keep talking so I can find you, Brandon told the man. I'm here. I'm alive, the man said. There were tears in his voice. I don't know what else to tell you. I'm here, and I'm frightened. I don't know what's going on. The world's gone crazy. Brandon found the man, and they clasped hands like they were long-lost father and son, finding each other again after years and years. Oh, my God. I thought I was dead, said the man. My name is Patrick. I'm Brandon. I... I can't see, Patrick said. I can't see either, Brandon told him. Oh, thank God, Patrick said. I thought I had just been blinded, but if you can't see either, then it's just too dark to see. Brandon was relieved too. I'm not blind, he thought. Not forever. The electricity must have gone out, and now there wasn't a hint of light anywhere in the windowless mall. What happened, Patrick asked. I don't know, Brandon told him. Maybe another plane? Are you hurt bad? Can you stand? I think my arm is broken, but I can stand. Help, a woman rasped nearby, somewhere else in the darkness. Brandon heard another person groan. There had been dozens of people with them down there in the mall, all following the Port Authority's directions to the Church Street exit. Some of them might be dead from the blast, but there had to be other survivors, like Brandon and Patrick. They found the woman who told them her name was Gail. She managed to stand and join their human chain, and they shuffled their way through the darkness toward the person who was groaning. Please let it be Richard, Brandon thought. Please let it be Richard. The groaning man couldn't speak. Gail bent down to examine him with her hands, and she gasped and stood. We have to leave him, she said. Why? What is it? Brandon asked, afraid it was Richard. I'm not sure he's even still alive, was all Gail could say. They heard something rattle and fall nearby. Patrick turned. No, wait, Brandon said. He bent down to check on the wounded man. I have to know if it's Richard. Stay away from his stomach, Gail told him, her voice queasy. Brandon's hands found the man's shoulders first, and then his suspenders. Richard had been wearing suspenders. No, please no, Brandon said to himself. His hands fumbled for the man's face, and he felt smooth, shaved skin. Brandon cried tears of relief. This couldn't be him. Richard had a beard. Brandon felt a pang of guilt for feeling relieved when this man was dying, maybe even dead already. But he couldn't help being grateful. I'm sorry, Brandon whispered to the dying man. Brandon stood, and he and Patrick and Gail listened again for a groan or a voice in the darkness. If you are hurt or trapped and can hear my voice, make any noise you can so we can find you, Patrick called out. No one answered. I think we should go, said Gail. It's hard to breathe, and we don't even know which way is out. Wait, please, Brandon said. My friend is still down here somewhere. I'm sorry, boy, said Patrick, but if we haven't heard him by now... Just let me look a little more, Brandon told him. He couldn't leave Richard behind, not after all they'd been through together. Richard? Brandon called. Richard! Long moments went by, and Brandon could sense the other two survivors growing restless. They wanted to get out of here. He did, too. Brandon pulled the human chain farther into the darkness, desperate to find his friend. Richard! He cried. Then softly... Brandon thought he heard something. Was that singing? 
Brandon's ears were still buzzing. Maybe they were playing tricks on him, but no. The others stopped to listen, too. Richard, Brandon called. There was no answer, just the indistinct hum of the tune. I think it's coming from this way, Gail said, pulling them gently into the darkness. Faintly, almost no more than a whisper came the words to, to a familiar song. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. Brandon gasped. It was Richard. Well, it's time for us to check out. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, and share us with a friend. Don't forget to check back with us every other week for the next episode of Overdue. Make time to read. Thanks for listening.